morning, brothers and sisters. Welcome to Calvary. As many of you know, or as most of you know, today will be Pastor Todd's last morning in our pulpit as our senior pastor. We know that he and Katie and the children will remain part of the, uh, the Oak Park community, and we're even more thankful that they'll remain part of the Calvary family in the days ahead. Before we read scripture and pray for Pastor Todd as he comes to preach God's word to us, I'd like to say a few things on behalf of the elders and the ministry staff and, and the congregation. There you are. First of all, we love you. We love you. We love Pastor Todd. We love Katie. We love their family. We love their extended family. The Wilsons are here today, the Ishes. And uh, we've grown to love you all with great affection. We're so thankful for, to God for Pastor Todd's godly and purposeful shepherding of our church family for the last 10 years. The Lord has gifted Pastor Todd with an obvious passion to study, to teach, and to preach God's word, to challenge us to follow hard after Jesus Christ, and to make the gospel uh, known and to have gospel impact in Oak Park and surrounding areas and around the world. His pulpit ministry has been Bible-saturated, spirit-led, and a blessing to each of us as we've grown in Christ. He's a strong leader with vision, lots of good ideas, plenty of courage. He gets emotional and a little weepy at times, doesn't he? But he has a strong sense of his own strengths and his weaknesses, and he hasn't been afraid to let us see both. And he's a dear brother and a friend. We love you. So we're going to have an opportunity as a church family to celebrate next Sunday evening. That's June 6th at, or June 10th at 6 o'clock. We're going to start with a, a service of commissioning to send him out uh, from this congregation to send him off with our blessings as he follows God's call to full-time leadership in the, in the Center for uh, Pastor Theologians. It's going to be about an hour service or so. We're going to have a chance to celebrate together, to hear God's word, to share uh, some, some stories and memories together. Then there's going to be a dessert uh, reception that's going to follow and so that we're going to have child care for a birth through fifth grade. Uh, the child care will be available during the service time. And then uh, you're welcome to pick up your kids and bring them to the reception as well. So I'd encourage you to, to bring a card or a note of, of encouragement to the Wilsons. We're going to be taking a love offering that, that evening. And so I hope that we'll all generously participate as we, want, as we thank our pastor for his ministry here among us. So that's next Sunday night, six o'clock here in the sanctuary and then in the dining room for a dessert, a dessert a reception to follow. Let's, uh, let's pray together as a church family for Pastor Todd as he comes to, uh, to preach the word. We'll read some scripture together and then welcome him here. Let's pray. Oh Lord, our God, our Heavenly Father, we trust in you. We put our trust and our hope in you. 
We love you. We come today to gather as brothers and sisters to lift up praise and worship to you. And we just want you to know that we love you with all our hearts, souls, minds, strength. We thank you for the way that you called Pastor Todd to this place, for the way that he has led us and has fed us, how you've led us and led him, the way that you've led him to a new opportunity to serve the Church of Christ here in the United States and around the world. Lord, would you bless him? Would you give him great fruitfulness? Continue Continue to use him to further the gospel, Lord, that you would bless his family, you bless his marriage. We pray for healing for Katie and the stress that uh, this diagnosis can have on Todd and the children and the extended family. Lord, we pray for, for great healing in her life and an endurance for them as they walk through this, this journey together. Lord, would you provide for them? In every way, as, as he leads this organization, Lord, would you provide for them financially? Would you provide the resources that he needs, the relationships that they need uh, to, to move that forward? Would, would you allow him to serve, continue to serve the Lord Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit, that he would not rely on his own strength, his own cleverness, but that he would rely on the this, this strength that you provide pray that you'd provide for us as a church family. We, we just remember how you have been so faithful to us for a hundred, over a hundred years. And we have great confidence that you will continue to be faithful to us, that you'll continue to lead us into the, into the days and months and years ahead. So provide for us, we pray, Lord. And now we pray as we open God's word together, Lord, that you would allow the authority and the truth of the word of God and the life-giving power of the spirit of God to speak to us that our, that our unscaled eyes may be attentive and, and may see your beauty and that we may respond with faith and, and obedience to what we hear that we would not just be passive spectators, um, just hearers of the word, but that we would respond with faith and joy and, and confidence in you. For we pray this in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Would you take your Bibles and turn to the book of Philippians? We'll be reading together Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. Philippians 1, 3 to 11. That's found on page 980 in your pew Bibles. Philippians chapter 1, 3 through 11. Let's stand together in, as we honor the reading of God's word together. Beginning in verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment 
and in and the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you with all with yearn yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. And all God's people said, Amen. And before you're seated, would you join me in uh, uh, just communicating and letting Todd know of our appreciation and love for him as he comes to the platform. Thank you. Thank you so much. Chris John said in the first service that Todd was going to preach a shorter sermon than normal. I think that was a slip of tongue because you notice he didn't say it in this service, right? Well, today, of course, is my, my last sermon as senior pastor of this one. Oh, gosh. I'm a, this happened in the first service. I wasn't even a sentence in, David Madrano, and I was already getting all choked up. This is my last sermon, of course, as senior pastor of this church that I have so loved and had such the privilege of, of serving for the last decade. And that's a big deal. It feels like a very big deal to me. I've never preached a farewell sermon. That's what I suppose I should do today is preach a farewell sermon. I went to my files to look for my farewell sermon file and lo and behold, I had nothing in it because I've never preached a farewell sermon before. So this is the first time for me. I've preached a lot of sermons at Calvary over the years, 40-plus Sundays a year, multiple times every Sunday. You add up 10, you multiply that by 10 years. That's like over 1,000 sermons over the last decade. That's a lot of sermons, but I've never preached a, a farewell sermon before one like this. I don't know why, but my mind has been going back, kept going back to a scene in my favorite book, not the Bible, I'm not that spiritual, but, but Tolkien's Lord of the Rings. I keep going back to a scene, the opening chapter, in fact, a long-expected party, and it is Bilbo Baggins' birthday. It's his 111st birthday. I don't know how old that actually makes Bilbo Baggins, 111st birthday, but it's also, unbeknownst to the hobbits that have gathered there to celebrate Bilbo's birthday, it's also his going-away party. And after the hobbits have had their fill of food and drink, if you remember the scene, and especially plenty of fill of drink, Bilbo stands up and, and he gives this marvelous farewell, this marvelous going away speech. And I had thought, to be honest, about just reading his speech and then closing in prayer. I wasn't sure I was going to be able to get away with that. But he really says so much of what I want to say to you this morning. This is what Bilbo says at his farewell party. He says this, first of all, he says, I want you to know that I am immensely fond of all of you. 
and that 111 years is too short a time to live among such excellent and admirable hobbits. And Tolkien then adds that there was a tremendous outburst of applause at that point in his speech. And, and then comes this excellent line. No, 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 no. Then comes my favorite line in his going away speech where he says this, I don't know half of you half as well as I should like, and I like less than half of you half as well as you deserve. And then Tolkien adds, they weren't sure if that came out as a compliment or not. But you may also remember, of course, that Bilbo at the time had that special ring in his pocket. And as soon as he started losing traction in the speech, his farewell speech, he slipped his hand into his pocket and his, ring into the special, his finger into the special ring, and voila, he disappears right in the middle of his speech. Truth be told, I was kind of hoping I'd have a little magic ring like that I could dip into, Right? But now I just have this farewell sermon to deliver my first ever farewell sermon. You know, as I've been thinking about this farewell sermon in my time at Calvary, I have been, of course, naturally kind of reminiscing a bit, thinking back over the last 10 years of life and, and ministry and remembering all that's happened in the good times and the, the challenging times. It's been fun to go back into my journals and read entries of things. Even before I was officially called as the pastor of the church, I, I came across this journal entry dated, check it out, Tuesday, July 29, 2008, about a month before I was called. I was called at the end of August. This is from July 29, 2008, just about 10 years ago, and this is what I wrote at that time. On Saturday, we received word from... from the chair of the pulpit committee at Calvary that they would like to invite me to candidate as their next senior pastor. And then Katie and I met yesterday, Monday, with the chair and his wife at our home here in Wheaton to discuss at greater length both the process and decision and the next steps for candidating. The plan is to announce my candidacy on August 10th and then to have the candidating weekend with preaching on August 24th, followed immediately by a congregational meeting and vote. Of course, our hearts rejoice with this news, and we're not a little relieved to have the waiting and anticipation and unknown behind us. At the same time, mingled with these feelings of relief and excitement are genuine and, I believe, godly and proper feelings of trepidation at the sheer weight and magnitude of the responsibility to be the shepherd of a large, well-established congregation, to follow in the wake of a much-loved pastor of nearly two decades, to ramp up the responsibilities significantly, to be faced with the myriad of leadership challenges and pastoral issues, to be required to embrace a self-sacrificing and disciplined life for the good of the people in a way I've not needed to up to this point. That is all humbling and, in a very real sense, intimidating. Will I be up for the challenge? God helping me? Yes. For his grace is indeed sufficient. And his desire to see the proclamation of the word Flourish at Calvary is more than anyone else's. 
Several weeks ago, I was down in Birmingham, Alabama. I have the privilege of serving on the advisory board for Beeson Divinity School, where the dean is a wonderful fellow by the name of Timothy George, who's been serving there for over 30 years, the whole tenure and length of the Divinity School, its, its whole existence. And Timothy George shared with the advisory board while I was down there a wonderful quote from a godly, older African-American pastor, professor, preacher named James Earl Massey. Dr. George asked Dr. Massey, James Earl Massey, to come and, and do a faculty retreat for the Divinity School after it had been going for about a decade. So Dr. Massey came and shared a number of remarks, and this was the standout sentence from his comments to the faculty at that time, and Timothy George then passed it along to our advisory board, and it really resonated with me. I've been thinking about it for quite some time since, since I first heard it. He said this, how a person begins a job tells you what he will do with the job. How a person ends a job tells you what the job has done to him. Makes me think back to September 2008 when I began this job. I was just 32 years old at the time, and I remember a congregant who was actually on the search committee and an elder who had, had been actively serving at Calvary since before the year I was born, a godly guy named John Tall. Some of you will know John Tall. He's, he's since moved out to the further western suburbs to be closer to family in his retirement. But he used to always greet me in the hallways at church with the in the following way, hello there, young man. And truth be told, I never took a shine to that greeting because I felt like I was a very old and wise and mature young man, right? Godly and experienced and knowledgeable. I mean, I kind of thought I was an awesome senior pastor before I'd even been a senior pastor. And as those who were around at the time, I'm sure, can testify, I began this job with lots and lots of energy and lots and lots of ideas and Lots and lots of vision and lots and lots of optimism and lots and lots of answers and lots and lots of confidence and lots and lots of ambition and not a little presumption and pride. One of my first meetings with the elders, I will never forget, I presented them with a tightly formatted, cleanly and crisply organized 17-page transition plan about how I was going to manage the transition, the first 30 days, the next 30 days, the final 30 days, and the first 90 days, and then the 18-month horizon, the two-year horizon, the three-year horizon. I mean, I had it all figured out already. And the look on those dear brothers' faces when I laid out this 17-page transition plan, they were like, what did we get ourselves into with this guy? And of course, God was smiling at the time. Have you ever had, you've kind of gotten involved in something and then you look back in retrospect and you know that God was smiling on you at that time? Not smiling with condescension, but with kindness and compassion. God was smiling on me because God knew God was going to get to work on me. And he did. 
And a decade later, I can say, like the Apostle Paul said, by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. Ten years later, I can say, by the grace of God, I think I have a little more humility and a little more maturity and a little more wisdom. And yes, elders, a little more patience. Just a little more. A lot more kids. <laughs> a lot less hair. But check it out. I now have gray in my beard. And I even saw I got some gray in my eyelashes these days. You know, you can imagine, right, when you're, when you're bringing to conclusion a decade-long ministry, you, you envision yourself sort of like, in a marathon race, and, and you turn the last corner, and you can see the, the finish line tape out there in front of you, and the finish line, and people cheering and clapping, and you know how this goes. You want to, like, sprint the last month or two and finish strong. At least that's the way I was envisioning it for myself, sort of running across the finish line to the cheers and riding off into the sunset, holding my trophy, being celebrated as the champion and the hero who finished the race. And yet that's not exactly how my ministry is ending. Because if I'm honest, I would say I feel far less like a runner who is running hard and strong across the finish line than I do like the paralytic from the Gospels who needs to be lowered down on the mat to see Jesus. As I think most of you know, the announcement of my resignation and transition went out on Tuesday, or excuse me, Thursday, April 19th. It was the same day that my wife Katie went back in for her follow-up mammogram. No big deal. She's 42 and in impeccable health, and so no big deal, but it was a big deal. They called her back for a biopsy on Friday, then I shared with you and preached that Sunday, April 21st, and then spent Sunday evening with many of you at our Calvary Lead event talking about the resignation and the transition. And then Monday came, and around lunchtime, we got the fateful call that Katie has cancer. And the last six to eight weeks have, of course, been so intense and so emotionally draining and demanding in so, so many ways. And so ironically, it's not a finishing strong at Calvary for me, but a kind of limping across the finish line. And you might say, looking from the outside, if you look at our story, my resignation and transition and Katie's cancer happening simultaneously, you might say if you're looking at that from the outside, that that's an unfortunate coincidence. That might even be bad timing. But as I've thought about it, this is the conclusion I've come to, that it's really no surprise at all, that it's no accident. That it's exactly according to God's loving design. And that God's timing is perfect in this. 
In fact, I'll be so bold as to say this, that this is just how I should finish my ministry at Calvary. Not with strength and control and dominance, but in weakness and humility and emotional exhaustion and what the Bible would call brokenness. Because at the end of the day, God has no interest in superstar pastors. Because pastors are not martyrs or saints or heroes. Pastors are given to congregations to be parables. Parables of the gospel. Ones in whom and through whom God himself reveals the beauty and the power of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Pastors' lives are parables for their people to see something of the beauty of the gospel lived out in lifetime. It's the Pauline pattern. So the Apostle Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians 4. He knew this better than anybody save Jesus. Quote, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpass. To show that the surpassing power belongs to God, not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, not crushed. We're black, but not driven to despair. Persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus, there it is, may also be manifested in our body. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Pastors are parables of the gospel. No surprise, limping out of my ministry. That's the embodiment of the gospel. God's loving design for me to inhabit the gospel vividly on the last lap. And so while I came to Calvary 10 years ago with, I sure thought I knew a lot, with great confidence, what I now see is that an awful lot of that confidence was self-confidence. But now, 10 years later, I can say that I leave Calvary with Less self-confidence and, by the grace of God, more God-confidence. You might call it the confidence on the other side of confidence. 
When the self-confidence erodes by the loving grace of God over time, and what you find and what you discover is it gets replaced by a powerful confidence called trusting in the goodness of God. Did you hear in our passage that Chris Johns read for us the Apostle Paul's expression of this God-centered confidence? Did you perhaps you still have your Bible open? Look there in verse 6 with me, will you? Verse 6 of Philippians chapter 1, where the Apostle Paul talks about the God-centered confidence that he has as a pastor of the Philippians. It's a powerful confidence. You see it there in verse 6, where he says this, and I am sure of this. 100% confidence, not in Paul, but in God. And after a decade of ministry with you, here is what I can now say I am sure of, not because of Todd, but because of God. I am sure of this. That the partnership we have enjoyed as a pastor and congregation, it has been sweet. See how Paul talks about their, you see there verse 5, their partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. That's what I'm talking about partnership in the gospel. Over the last 10 years, we have as congregation and pastor, we have been striving side by side for the faith of the gospel here in Oak Park and around the world. Or as Bonhoeffer would put it, we've been doing life together through the good times, through the challenging times, and it has been sweet. The partnership has been sweet. We've done tons of things together. Lots of programs and initiatives and activities and services and ministry and all of the rest of it. But the sweetness comes not in what we've accomplished, but in the fellowship and the partnership we've enjoyed along the way. The partnership in the gospel. And by the way, let me say, it is a good thing that it is partnership in the gospel because I have needed the gospel and we have needed the gospel as the bedrock and the foundation of our partnership because I will confess over the years there have been lots of mistakes on my part, plenty of pride and an abundance of self. And so I know I have needed partnership defined with you all by the gospel, by the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, his forgiveness and his power. And the partnership because of that It's been sweet. It's been sweet. I'm also sure of this, that the affection has been genuine. The affection has been genuine. I love what the Apostle Paul says to the Philippians there in verse 3. You see there at the beginning of the passage, this is genuine affection he is describing here. You see it there in verse 3. I thank my God in all of my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, making my prayer with joy. And then drop down to verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. Verse 8. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. That is genuine affection 
He is describing from him to them and them to him. You know, one of the things I've learned over the years in leading the congregation is this. That it's one thing to lead a congregation. It's another thing altogether to love a congregation. Leadership is good and leadership is necessary. But love is the greatest of these, and, and love endures forever. And so one day, leadership will cease. But love and affection is going to go on for all eternity. And so a true confession to you this morning, early on in my ministry here, I would say for the first three, four, five, perhaps as many as six or seven years, I often led out of my head, not out of my heart. Out of my head, not out of my heart. But I can remember very vividly the day that began to change, the day God in His grace began to birth a genuine spirit-given affection for the congregation, for you. I was like every Sunday morning, parked down the street and walked through the doors right behind us into the narthex as I did many, many mornings before that. And this time I stopped dead in my tracks right over there as I swung the door open and stepped into the congregation. Normally what I felt as I did that for years leading up to that point was the following, something like, how can I motivate and inspire and move these people to get on with the vision? How can I challenge them, teach, encourage what needs to be fixed? What needs to be improved? What needs to be done around here? But this morning was very different as I walked in. As I stepped into the narthex, I thought to myself, the feeling, very palpable, very real, very spirit-given, wow, what a privilege I have to be able to love and pastor and shepherd these people. Wow, what a privilege. God in his kindness been birthing a new thing in my own heart, a genuine affection for you so that I didn't just strategize for you in my head, but as Paul says, I actually held you and now hold you in my heart. The affection, brothers and sisters, has been genuine on my part and, and I know it has been on your part as well, I am sure of that. But there's a third thing that I'm sure of as well, and it's this. I am sure of this, that, listen, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. You see Paul's confidence there in verse 6 when he says, I am sure of this, and then what follows is not some fact of history that we can all be sure of. Rather, it is something about the future. I am sure of this, he says, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. In other words, the best is yet to come. Of course, Calvary now is on the threshold of a new season of life and, and ministry. An interim starting at like 12.01 a.m. June 4th, I will no longer officially be the senior pastor and the church will officially be in a transition 
interim phase of its life. And transitions, as we all know, can be unsettling. They can be uncertain. They can even at times be kind of scary. But Calvary, here is the good news that I think we all can be 100% confident about, that the best is yet to come. For Calvary, as a church, for each of us as individuals, for you and for me, the best is yet to come. Not because of us, but because of God. Because he who began a good work in you and at Calvary will most certainly bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. The best is yet to come. And as we are waiting for the day of Christ Jesus, let's not forget God is still actively at work in our midst. As Paul says to the Philippians, filling them with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So the best is yet to come, not only in eternity, but right now, tomorrow, the next day, the next week, and so on, as God is filling us all with his power and his presence and his spirit. And so Calvary, don't lose hope. Don't grow weary in well-doing. Don't faint and let your faith dwindle. But the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. And so say to yourself, I am sure of this. The best is yet to come. All because of Jesus. There's one last thing I want to share with you that I am sure of. And it's this, I am sure of this, that this goodbye is just momentary. This goodbye is just momentary. This, of course, is my farewell sermon as senior pastor at Calvary Memorial Church. And so it's a farewell sermon. It's a goodbye sermon. And though we're not moving out of the area... I may not see some of you again. I don't know. And, and at the very least, there will be a new kind of relationship, a, a relationship with more emotional relational distance than being pastor and congregant as we've enjoyed it over these last 10 years. But listen, brothers and sisters in Christ, this goodbye is but momentary, not forever. Because as Scripture teaches us, Soon and very soon, the Lord himself, the Bible says, will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and then they who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. No separation. No goodbye. Let me, maybe let me put it this way. Soon and very soon we are going to see the king. Some of you have been wondering whether I was going to sing in my final sermon. Well, here it comes. Soon and very soon we are going to see the king. Soon and very soon. We are going to see the King. Soon and very soon, we are going to see the King. 
Hallelujah, hallelujah, we're going to see the King. And as you all know, if you know that song, which most of you sounds like you know that song, you even know the clapping rhythm to that song, that's not bad. As you know, there's going to be no dying there. And there's going to be no crying there. And there's going to be no saying goodbye there. And there's going to be no end to the feasting and the dancing and the celebration and the singing and the adoration and the worship and the fellowship and the communion world without end, never ceasing forever and ever. Can I get an amen? Amen. And so Calvary, the last thing I want to say to you in close is simply this, that I am sure of this. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you for I, I hold you all in my heart. God is my witness. How I yearn for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And so this is my prayer. That your love, today and tomorrow and the next day, and for eternity, your love may abound more and more in knowledge and wisdom. That you may be able to discern what is best. And so be kept pure and blameless today, tomorrow, next week, next month, next year. (laughs) Not just making it through life, but being filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and to the praise of God. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Father, Father, thank you for these stunning, rock-solid promises in Scripture that are a ballast to our souls, a ballast to this church. Jesus, you have been the head of the body, the church, since the resurrection. You have had your hand on Calvary Memorial Church for over a century, and you will, until you return, continue to guide her, strengthen her, use her for Great gospel good in Oak Park and around the world. We believe that because you are the head of the church, this body. And thank you that you promise as well to fill us with the fruit of righteousness. That we might not just make it through life, but thrive in you, Lord Jesus. Branches on the vine prospering and flourishing spiritually in every way. And so, Lord Jesus, we bless and we praise you as indeed the great shepherd of the sheep, the great senior pastor of Calvary Memorial Church. Thank you that you have always been 
the senior pastor, and you always will be. For we pray this in your name. Amen.